Welcome to Production Value Matters, the business event podcast, brought to you by Burn Production Services. Here, we explore the different ways business events can bring value to your organization, the latest technological advances in the event space, as well as providing you with actionable strategies to make a business event a success. Let's create an exceptional event experience. Welcome to another episode of Production Value Matters, the business event podcast. Today, I'm really thrilled to welcome Samantha Mele, an innovator and mastermind in the realm of event strategy and creative ideation. Sam is the founder of the Creative Connoisseur, venture that breathes life into corporate events by weaving in playful, engaging, and imaginative elements. With a mantra rooted in the power of yes, Sam and her team challenge the conventional boundaries of a corporate event landscape, embarking on a quest to deliver experiences that are not only memorable, but also drive impactful business outcomes. Boasting over a decade of rich experience in hospitality and the event sector, Sam has earned her stripes as an event solutions architect, where her knack for disrupting the status quo shines through. And plus, she's a cool friend of mine, and I like her a lot. Welcome, Sam. Matthew, honestly, can I steal that bio and rewrite it or like put it on my LinkedIn? Because that was so beautifully done. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. You know, that's going to be my side hustle is uh, yeah, writing, as, as you should. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So look, Sam, your passion for creativity and engagement seems to have roots from a very young age, blossoming through dance and later flourishing in the event planning sector. Can you take us through that journey and how you transitioned from the realms of hospitality to becoming the founder of Creative Connoisseur? Yeah. So it's so interesting we're having this conversation now because my answer would have been very different had we had this a month ago. And that is related to a breakthrough I had with my therapist, which go therapy. I think everyone in the event space, it's so great to have a therapist for having an unbiased opinion. But I digress by saying we came to this notion that everything in my life is derived or inspired from this idea of playfulness. Like when I danced, it was all about playing on stage. When I played sports, it was a community and team environment. And so the evolution of my career thus far, I owe it to the idea of play. Whenever I felt that my play was stunted, I knew that the opportunity had served its purpose and it was on to the next opportunity. And so for so many years, I remember being back at an agency, I was always told that my ideas were too much. You're too out there. You're too much of a dreamer. Come down here, silence yourself. And colleagues and even my interns would turn to me and say, you're bound to go on your own and do your own thing. And I always you know, we toy with imposter syndrome, as I'm sure when you first started out your company as well, you know, can you, can't you? And then now doing it, almost approaching my second year, I feel overwhelmingly grateful that those crazy ideas that I was told once to silence, that playfulness that I had, that curiosity is now the very reason why clients come and work with the creative connoisseur. And so I feel like this entire conversation is so timely because I'm also developing all these new themes that are coming up in my life. And that has been the true evolution as to how I am where I am now and how the creative connoisseur came to be. That's amazing. You're very active in the Event Minds Matter movement. I've seen you post quite a lot. And I do think it's vitally important. Like, as soon as you said therapy, you know, I also participate in regular therapy. And I think as an entrepreneur, it's something that is glossed over or not talked about enough. 
I'd love to circle back on that throughout the conversation. So let's go on to creating that goosebump moment that you've spoken about in social media and a lot of your marketing, which I find is quite captivating. Could you share some of the most impactful moments you've witnessed or orchestrated where that element of play significantly enhanced the corporate event experience and perhaps left a lasting impression in attendees and how that worked? So when I'm ideating for clients, I think this actually plays a big factor too when I was choreographing for dance. You know, you're telling a story through movement, the costumes you use, the AV, for instance, that you're playing with musicality and sound effects. And so the most impacted event that I've attended is someone or a producer that has been so meticulous on choreographing those special moments of delight and surprise that I feel like at a young age, I was exposed to through dance. Like when we were doing 10 minute productions, it was a whole intertwined weed production. And so I relate that to events. And I find that the most ones that I walk away feeling truly inspired is when not necessarily the most ritzy, fitzy, glam, five-star property. It could be almost the warehouses that are unassuming from the exterior. And you walk in and the experience design really plays to this like delight and surprise, unexpected moments, things you haven't seen before, the avant-garde ideologies that like, you know, I've never thought about that for a corporate event because I always say this, that Although we're designing corporate events for sometimes the C-level suites or the executives, they're still human beings. They still want to play. They still want to, you know, let their hair down. And so that's the idea of how I take the ROI or the ROE, the return on engagement, on the impact, which is hard to quantify, really, because it's, it's so subjective person to person. But that goosebump nature that you get from a concert or when someone's telling you an impactful story, whether it's sad or you're moved to tears, like that evoking of emotion. We have a platform as event professionals to create that for attendees. And I really hone in on that when I'm ideating for clients. So let's go back to the beginning of that process. And can you elaborate a little bit on how that element of play can be integrated into the initial ideation phase for the event planning? So it's so interesting. I get asked that often if there's like, how do you do this? And how do you get to this point? And so there's a couple of things that I always say. First and foremost, everybody is creative. It's just whether or not you allow the space to dream and if you have the capacity to dream. And I think that's why I started my company because planners or production managers get so honed in on logistics that when they're told to get creative, their brain just can't do it. They're so in this capacity of analytics and data and spreadsheets that like, They probably could if they had the space. And so that's why I come in as a creative consultant and kind of ideate with them. Now, when it comes to the process, I always say the more you consume, the more creative you are. And so I have built this very beautiful, blessed life for myself where I allow inspiration from every aspect of my life, personal, business, pleasure, like everything is an inspiration for me. I turn vacations into business trips. I'm the crazy person that everyone always makes fun of. But if you're following me on social media, I was in Calgary for a business trip. I got in at seven o'clock and by nine o'clock I was at a concert and I was like, do you sleep? Like, what do you do? And I just, I really do squeeze the most out of life. And by going to that concert, I now saw five 
beautiful, talented musicians just command the stage, no dancers, no crazy sound effects, and just watching the energy exchange. And so I'm drawing inspiration for when a client's like, you know, our stage is flat. So working with a production company, we would, you know, think about all these different ways that we pull inspiration from all these experiences that we've kind of consumed over the years. And I think that like, I don't have a natural process, but I really steal like an artist is what I keep hearing that everyone keeps saying is you just take attributes of all the things you've seen, build, can deconstruct, rebuild again, you know, different iterations, working with partners to help collaborate and brainstorm is kind of the best way that I ideate. If I had to streamline it, we have the event design canvas that is available to our industry. I'm only at level one. I hope to get my next level, but I feel like that's a really great map to kind of take you on the journey and start to ideate. And like, you know, my saying is spaghetti on the wall. Like not everything's going to stick, but at least one noodle will stick soon enough. And so just try it, just dream. And sometimes the craziest dream will inspire somebody else to find their creative process. I start with a white canvas, blank canvas, and just go. That's kind of my process. There's a philosophy of quiet observation that if you open yourself up to as much watching and listening as possible and be conscious of those moments because as you said as event professionals we get stuck in the logistics of it it's lists it's budgets it's you know when are we doing that when's the next meeting so on and so on and we get sort of inundated by that and the most creative things always come out i think out of moments of you know what i'm going to consciously take it like this 20 minutes and i'm just gonna look and i'm gonna absorb and so I love how you're touching on that concept. So thinking about some of your past projects, could you share some specific instances where integrating a playful element significantly enhanced the participant engagement or perhaps exceeded the business objectives set forth by your client? Yeah, I was very privileged to design six experiences last year in conjunction with Collision, which is the tech conference that comes to Toronto. And this elite group was the founders. And they were like the top 250 founders that were valued at X and did X. And, you know, you had the who's who in the room. And, and truthfully, I feel very, very blessed to be in that room. And so when you're dreaming for people like this, you're like, okay, you know, in Portugal, they were playing with Benfica on the stadium and doing all these crazy things. And you come to Toronto, we don't have those amazing, you know, cathedrals and basilicas and all these fun stuff. So I tried to bring in this like Canadian element. And one of the things I actually had pitched is from my dear friend, Kevin Rempel, Paralympian, who introduced sledge hockey to the corporate space. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a fantastic speaker. And he has this experience where I pitched it and I was like, listen, the headquarters of the Collision Web Summit is in Dublin. And so they don't understand the Canadian culture or they, they had an idea of the Canadian culture. But I really wanted to drive home, like you're coming to Toronto, we're like hockey through and through. And this experience is competitive, it's sporting, and it didn't fly. It did not fly. But I was like, I don't think we should give up on this. I think we should keep pushing for it. And I kept on it. And truth be told, out of the six experiences, because of the play, the competitive edge, we had custom jerseys, we had gold medals for them. We like got them suited and booted. They were competing. They were doing like little matches against each other. That came back as the most engaged, excited, like the group was closer because of it. There's a sense of community now and not to say a mixology class isn't fun. And I'm sure there was a lot of playful elements too, but the competitive playness, we were nervous that because they didn't want to like get so active, was it going to be too hard for them? But we took a chance and 
it turned out to be extremely successful because we went back to that adolescent, like innocence of just playing and just being silly and letting our hair down. That's amazing. I like that unconventional activity, but also as a Canadian, really glad that it didn't involve moose and or maple syrup. <laughs> right. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your philosophy about saying yes, which suggests a distinctive approach to event planning uh, that challenges conventional boundaries, like you did with the sledge hockey. How has this ethos enabled you to disrupt traditional corporate event norms, especially concerning the infusion of playful moments? There's two people I owe this philosophy to. One, when I was in school, we were all told to go work in the food and beverage industry to get some experience in the hospitality degree program. And so I worked at Moxie's in Woodbridge and our GM at the time said, okay, when someone asks you, when a guest asks you, hey, I have a question before you say, hey, what's okay, yeah, what's the question? You say, yes, I have the answer. Now, what's the question? And it was this idea that like, we are there to serve them. We have the power to help them problem solve for them. Like we are there to be their solution architect, if you will. And that really resonated with me. That was, I was like 1920 when I worked at Moxie's. And so that's still a mantra of mine that like, I love that even to this day at the creative connoisseur, clients heavily rely on me to be the troubleshooter and they know that I'm the doer. And if I can't do it, I have an amazing roster of connections and network that can help troubleshoot with me. So that's one thing. Number two, when I worked at JPDL, the founder, Jean-Paul de Lavison, my very first sales meeting with him, he says, Samantha, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And of course, like there's so many different ways you can take that principle, but the lighthearted principle is just like, no doesn't necessarily mean no forever. And so what I do with my suppliers is if I know the answer is no, I really do nurture that partnership with them so that there becomes a trust bond. So that if by chance they do happen to say yes, and let's say things go south. I want them to know that I'm in the trenches with them and that I'm there to support them and we will together find a different solution. So this yes, of course, is the philosophy I have for my company, but also very much like I want to make sure that I'm respecting no's. I I come from a very Italian strict household that I know no is no. I'm not going to play around with the hard no's, but sometimes if if I can see the potential, I can see the light of the tunnel, I will still be persistent and really work with the supplier to get them to like, okay, maybe, okay, I'll ask. And so I hate the word no for so many years. I had managers of mine who were like, no, we can't do this. But I'm like, no, we can. You just don't want to try something different because it's so foreign. And so by just saying yes, I just want more people to just take chances, calculated risks, of course. If no one's getting hurt, there's no financial burden to it, of course. But also just like be curious, have fun, run the beta, experiment within reason. And if it does come back that didn't work, now you have all the reasons why it didn't work. And now you're just going to iterate, rebuild, deconstruct and build again for an even better product. So I love yes more than no. The only time I say no is like, if someone's like, traditionally, we did this. I'm like, absolutely not. Like I then there's another planner. There's tons of amazing qualified planners in Toronto that will gladly take on that rinse and repeat event. But I really want to be more bespoke and just like be avant-garde. Yeah, absolutely. So can you touch a little bit more on any of that resistance you might have encountered and how you've navigated through it? I for sure have heard no most of my career before I found my voice. I would just obviously stay silent and do my thing. But now that I am stepping into this entrepreneur leadership role, there's a key 
know that really hurt my heart to the core. And it happened this year back in May. We were running a real estate conference and client had brought in Grant Cardone, spent like half a million dollars to get him there, flew in his private jet, the whole kit and caboodle, like amazing. Like what a, a fantastic mogul to be working with. And I was his speaker manager. And naturally shows up late and we're backstage. I'm cueing him or we're talking about real estate because I'm also in the real estate game. And like five minutes before he goes on stage, his manager pulls me aside and says, hey, here's the website we need you to throw up when Grant says, and take a look at these properties. And I already know the answer was no, because the client didn't opt for internet in the venue. And I knew that it was already a hassle to change things. We had custom screens, obviously with AV, you know, like the whole ordeal, the, the last minute changes. But I still said, I'll come back. I literally asked everybody, bled, begged, begged, pleaded. Everyone still said no. And I went back to Grant and I said, I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, like we're not able to do this for you. I had asked your manager for slides ahead of time, whatever, whatever. And the look of disgust that Grant gave me made me shrivel up to like a raisin. And I was like, oh my God, this man who I like idolize now thinks that I'm so incompetent to perform this. It like, it was almost like the fire I needed to like really go and get things done. So I like slowly walked away when they couldn't see me. I darted for the AV booth and I don't know how we figured it out or what we did. Screenshot, tethered, NFC, like I don't even know how, but somehow, some way we got the photos up there and find there was a solution to that but the no almost motivated me more to like I can't stop it no I have to find a solution for him especially because like I feel like a failure if I've never you know come to the table with his solution but that to me like I feel like that's going to be a memory of my career for quite some time and I feel like I was felt accomplished when it turned to a yes that's just one example but yeah that's the no that really hurt me <laughs> yeah gotcha so Let's talk about your title about the event solution architect, which hints at a more strategic and innovative approach to event planning. How has this role facilitated your efforts in challenging traditional event formats? And how has that integration of playful experiential aspects impacted the perception and outcomes of corporate events you've managed? When I receive a mandate and I'm going through it with the client, we're on the call, we're going through all the specs. My first question is, uh, is it a new event? Of course, is it, is, is there tradition? What were the metrics from the tradition? What have you guys done in the past? And I do really go into this brainstorm session where I'm giving ideas that are similar to what they've done in the past. And if things are not hitting and they're not really jazzed about them, and I'm kind of sensing some resistance from them, I do open up this, um, statement of here comes spaghetti on the wall. And like I said earlier, like that not everything's going to stick, but one is for sure going to stick. And I almost temper the client's expectation that like, listen, it's going to be some radical thinking right now. These are just high level what's going to come to me, but I want to keep building from this. And so I start there, something sticks, we create ID. And through this process, I find the client begins to sort of trust me. So if it's a new relationship, uh, maybe there's a word of mouth that they heard about me or I've been prospecting them. Um, through this entire process of the account management, there's a level of trust. And I, I have firsthand experienced that this year where there was a lot of resistance at first. But then as things start to materialize, um, it got to the point where I didn't, I didn't even almost have to have her sign off on things anymore. She was like, run with it, go with it. And then arriving on site, it was so beautiful and fluid that the client just allowed, we, everyone played to their strengths. The client was managing guest lists and all of their sales executives. 
and it allowed me to really hone in on the experience and really um, showcase why this event was different than another person that was holding a very similar event. And so there's a level of trust that's built. That's built. There's a le- level of like, um, we're, we're, we're going to shake things up. And, and she also assumed or knew that there'd be a level of risk. And so it's like, um, I don't even know how to, to wrap this up essentially, but there's a whole process that when I'm working with a client that I go through in terms of management and how the creative connoisseur just differentiates throughout that process. And so much so that at the end of the event, it's not till next August and we've already signed for next year. So it speaks volumes. And I, I guess that's my affirmation that like, this is a process that can work, but it's a slow process to get the client to finally, and I'm sure you know this too, like trust level of just like, you're the expert, Matthew, if they're hiring you and your company, like at some point the client has to be like, okay, Matthew, I trust you. You do your thing and you bask in your expertise. I do bask. That's a very apt word. So in aligning with our sort of focus, which is creating value in the B2B event space, how do you go about measuring the impact of incorporating playfulness into corporate events, and both in terms of participant engagement and tangible business results? So interesting, because I feel like it's not a metric that can be quantified. It's a quality metric. And if I went back to that event, the way that we measured the success was laughter and smiles and obviously the feedback that came back she didn't even send out a post us a survey just the colleagues had actually just congratulated her on a successful event so those were some of the metrics that we had used but with like play it's hard i feel like when you start an event and let's say there's four activations in the first hour there's probably no lineup people are scared it takes one person to break the ice and actually go to the activation and i think that like Sometimes if I'm walking the event, I will take note of like, is there a lineup? Is there a buzz around it? Do I, can I send some of my staff to go and be ambassadors and invite them? And then maybe that'll kind of break the ice. And so I find that in the creative space, especially it's such a, what I think is going to be fun. You may hate, like if you're an introvert or I'm an extrovert or vice versa, as a experienced creator, you have to be able to design the event to also to the different personalities and different types of people that are going to be there. Not everyone's going to be able to do karaoke and get on stage. You have to still think of those that are spectating. What's the experience for them? Are they bored just sitting there? Can we gamify it where they can vote? Can we do like a people's choice award for them? So they still feel like they're playing along with it, but they're actually not there. Can they select the next song? So the person coming on stage is like, doesn't know the song. Like we have to figure out ways to cater to all those different psyches. And so, yeah, that's a key component to the holistic view of how to measure, I guess, the, the, the last, it's hard. It's hard with creativity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something that every event professional, like we all instinctually know these things. I've had many conversations on the podcast now with people talking about return on emotion and return on experience or building culture. And the challenge that as event professionals we have is we know instinctually, it's like a muscle that like just sort of naturally works itself out that we know that all of the laughter, all of the positive sentiment that we see coming out, like when we get like five emails from participants saying, oh my God, or it's like, I know, but it's the challenge has always been in this industry because especially B2B events are always focused on business metrics and need to impact a bottom line and all of those things. How do we personify that in a way that we can hand to a client and sort of say, this is how we impacted your business and or this effort did. And so 
when you sort of thinking about that thing for collision and how you're moving forward in the future, how are you using some of those insights to inform your approach to new projects? Is it more of a lessons learned or is it the process of discovery and documentation? And how are you bringing that back to your teams to say, we just did this, we just opened a new book, here's how we're going to rewrite that book? So interesting. I do do a debrief, of course. I mean, everyone does with their team internally and then with the client, we're learning objectives. But I think it's a hybrid of both. Like, I think it's like the new discovery, the lessons learned, how can we build from there? When you mentioned the metrics and all the ROs that you had just mentioned on and like emotion, sometimes when a client is asking for those metrics, like I feel like oftentimes clients just need the data because their superior needs the data. But whenever I ask the client, like, well, what exactly are we measuring? Is it that we want to take away from this event, like new sales leads? Because then there are fun ways that we can figure out new sales leads and how that email comes through. But like, that might not be directly from the event. That might only happen like two, three, four months down the line. So I would work with them to figure out a strategy on how to capture that. But I feel like for right now, where my company is right now, None of my ideas have ever been, we haven't reused anything as of yet because it is still very bespoke. However, I'm sure there will come a time where I will be like, oh, I one time did this, let's do this again. So I don't have what would be next, like how the next iteration works or, or what the next play is. But I do have a bank of all the notes. I am such a nurturer with my suppliers too that I oftentimes will take them for a coffee or a drink and I want to know their pain points and how we could do better. I mean, everyone does this, but it's like, it sits there in the file. And then whenever I need to touch it, obviously I will bring it back up again, but it is again, stealing like an artist. I may not use everything about it. I'll take little tidbits of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to talk about somebody who just recently described you. And I think it was PCMA described you as a disruptor in the meetings industry space, being at the forefront of innovative event planning. So as we navigate sort of post-pandemic uh, how do you envision the evolution of playful elements within the event framework? And do you see technologies or specific strategies that might play a pivotal role in that evolution? Yeah, I'm scared to say this, but I'm happy that we as an industry had that major shift. I'm sure everyone can attest to that because we now have been designing at a different level when it comes to the hybrid and virtual space. And when we were navigating that, when I was at this virtual production firm in the time being, I thought to myself, how is it that I can't sit through a 20-minute webinar without looking at my phone, texting away, and there's no way that I can be listening and texting at the same time, so that's a write-off. But yet, when like I'm watching Netflix, I'm totally zoned in. And, and like, why is my attention span so much better over there to over here? And there's a, various factors that we can obviously attest to that. But ultimately, it's I feel like the storytelling, the drama, the custom choreography that comes into it, when we're navigating this virtual space, I want all of us to be cautious of the run of show becomes your choreography. The next minute is this, fly in this, you know, push this. But I think we have to start paying attention to the ASMR, the autonomous sensory models we keep seeing on social media, like the sounds that are playing with all the different sensories to create that drama. Because like, we're not 
talking, like if I compare it to like Breaking Bad, of course, like that's a huge drama series, like thriller, you know, of course you're, you're, you want to know more in that story. When you're talking about an expert on science or neurology, like their content naturally is a little bit more dry, but what can we as event professionals do to make that drama on the screen or on stage? I even tell clients sometimes like when your scientist is submitting an abstract, yes, also have them submit a little teaser video like this and give them the feedback of do this, don't do this. That's outside the audio and visual feedback we always give. But naturally, they're probably a little more introverted. They probably don't feel as comfortable and confident in their skin. So as a preventive producer, I would automatically flag that and say, you know what, we're not going to have him live. We're going to take his recording and actually turn that into a video. So we have to be the ambassadors to help guide the client. Like, listen, we can totally have Dr. So-and-so come on. He can do his thing. But to really get the engagement, his content is better suited as a video. So let's spend the extra couple thousand with a production company and let's get him into an actual video that makes his content come more to life. There's more choreography, there's more energy because ultimately our events are an energy exchange. Like it's all this like fluid energy. And so if we feel stagnant on the screen, we're not engaged. And it's not even like we have to gamify everything. Gamification doesn't always work, especially if it becomes kitschy. So I think we have to know our audience as well. But I think like really honing in on this drama and energy that comes from the screen is the best way to really capitalize people's attention to the content. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that description of the energy exchange. And I think that's one of the things that brands and corporations and even planning community has found a sort of lack in that virtual world is that there's no way to in real time really see that energy exchange and live events can be that catalyst and you can see it in real time. And so this is where I think the entire industry is like virtual stuff isn't going to go away. It's, you know, content is going to move over there, but experience design is definitely going to stay in line. And I think you hit on something really, really poignant there is creating those moments of energy exchange. So finding a balance that you have to maintain between like the professional corporate ambiance in working with a brand and infusing that playful element can be a little bit delicate. In your experience, how can companies strike this balance to ensure that their core objectives for their events are met while also providing that refreshing, engaging, and perhaps unconventional experience for their attendees? When this ideation process begins, I really rely heavily on the client to, at the core, know the do's and don'ts of their company. I'm not in the fabric of the company. I'm going to pitch all these crazy ideas, but ultimately, like, I'm really relying on them to cancel, endorse these ideas. So there's a lot of pushback, like, oh, we can't do this because, you know, we can't serve alcohol because of this. And so it is a fine line. But I think what I leverage is, I empower the client to, he or she, they need to be the ambassador and almost find a confidant in the ecosystem of their company to almost bounce back the ideas for like a second or third eye opinion on what we're doing and allow me to still stay in my lane of creativity. Because if I sometimes get so in the weeds on their side, I then stunt my playfulness and my creativity. So I almost like the collaborative effort of the two of us coming together is really where I find the sweet spot. And we can kind of straddle the line that's very, very thin, but it's going to happen. There are going to be ideas that are almost like too forward thinking. But then I also think like 
all the companies that have made the most amazing breakthroughs and innovation, like they were probably toying back and forth on, do we, don't we? And then all of a sudden they did it. And then there was a return on it. Not every story ends up that way, but I think we have to take a little bit of a calculated risk with that. And if it's a little bit too much pushy, we then know for the next time to scale back within reason. Of course, I don't want ever a brand to feel like they've diminished this, their core values, but we keep seeing that. Like, you know, there's so many brands that have done a campaign and then they have to backtrack because it was too avant-garde. But at the same time, like, you know, some publicists might say like bad or good news is still news. So not that that's what I, I lead with, but I mean, we have to understand like, so what are the core values? I would never, ever push a client to sabotage the makeup of why their mission and vision is the way it is. But I encourage them to like, let's play a little bit. And maybe every single event is 5%, 5%, 5%. And then eventually the compound of that ends up being the next event next year. And it's like a 20% difference in the type of event, you know? So it is tough. And I know sometimes I am that person on the call or in a meeting that I'm pitching ideas and I know somebody's eyebrow is going, what the heck is going on with her? And that's okay. I can validate that. But I know that that crazy idea it can be up here and then someone will be like, okay, so not that, but let's like come here. But already that's a big jump from where we were before. So I think it's just like in a safe environment, in a safe space where equal parties feel held, you can play on those ideas. And then just like bringing in ambassadors and advisors to just have that second, third, fourth eye is like a great starting point to balance that line. So do you think that there are certain sectors or types of events where you see this playfulness and engagement uh, being particularly beneficial? Is there a place where it might not be suited? Interesting. I think there's different levels of play. So like Matthew, for example, like in your experience with all the production stuff that you've done, is there a client or an event of yours that maybe you were like, absolutely not. It had to be cookie cutter and whatever. Like, give me, set the tone for me and I can help. I can maybe ideate more. Well, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, you know, the, the way that I kind of see it is uh, uh, is we every once in a while get a client that says, oh, but we're very conservative, right? And what that usually means in, in our creative process is, oh, you like clean lines. You don't like, I'm not pitching you like this. I, you know, I had a financial client a couple of years ago that I pitched this amazing idea that they had a major challenge in their, in their, uh, in the culture of their company, their sales teams were sort of resting on their laurels and they were worried that they would, uh, they would not accomplish their goals. So they really wanted to motivate them. And I picked up on the, well, what happens when you don't achieve your goals? Right. And, you know, they were very honest and came to it and said, well, you know, like, we're going to have to lay off half the staff. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that. And they were very dire circumstances. And so what we pitched to them, maybe an overshot, was we went to the extreme and said, okay, well, what if the, uh, the negative consequences of you not taking action are like, um, dystopian future robots took over the world and, and everything has been destroyed, right? And so we had this idea where the, the CEO would get up and you start talking and the, the uh, screens would flicker and there was a video playing the CEO from the future who was like, 
you gotta do it right or this is gonna happen. And we even planted an actor, like we intended on planting an actor in the audience who was the guy on screen, but younger looking and going like some guy from the mailroom going, hey, that's me. So that was an example of the wrong pitch for the wrong, they were very conservative and they were like, no, 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 no. we need to do the, the rah, 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 we're the most awesome one team, one team kind of thing. And so I think what I'm trying to get at is like, is there, a place where this doesn't like we shouldn't put play in something or is play and that kind of creativity something we definitely have like everybody should be adopting this so i'm a little crazy in that i feel like that idea sounds amazing and is like it was pitched to the wrong person because i find this too with my clients they're so traumatized from something that might have happened in the past I had one client who's like, we can't use white linen. And I was like, what? What is it about white linen? And like, I think something had happened where the seat, whatever, it doesn't matter. So I feel like the person saying no, they have their own limiting beliefs from past traumatic experiences or their managers kind of giving the directive. But then I want to shake them because it's like, you already know that what you're doing right now is not working. And you're concerned about this corporate culture and that people are leaving and you have to like fire people. And so like, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So like, at what point are you ready to risk take? Maybe what you had pitched was just like too out there. And like, maybe, I don't know if you end up scaling it down or, or whatever, maybe it's shorter or whatever, but I feel like play needs to be implemented into everyday life. The curiosity of it, the, the imagination, just like letting your brain go, musicality. I think I don't ever really feel like it's never appropriate. I think it just depends, yeah, on which ears are listening. And I want to work with you on that event. I would, we got to figure out a way to, to get that that idea going. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, thank you. That was like something we pitched like way pre-pandemic. And unfortunately, it never happened. But I love those kind of out-of-the-box thinking of, what if we did this? I love that. Just on that, like you're saying, what if? Another thing that I'm really working on is we're programmed to be like, what if it falls? What if it fails? What if this, but like, but what if it does work? And what if it is amazing? And what if we do increase the corporate culture? Like it's about the what, what if, and that's, we're working with also my therapist, just to be more positive. Like it doesn't always have to crash and burn. We create as we speak. The word abracadabra literally means we create as we speak. And so if we're creating our reality, we need to be creating this positivity and this encouragement and this excitement and this like, there's a possibility for it to work. But if you already are thinking it's not going to work, then guess what? We are going to attract what you put in the universe. So what if up, everybody? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll quote another philosopher. It's uh, whether you are prepared to fail or succeed, you will always be right. Meaning that if you are always preparing to fail, then you are always going to fail. And if you are always preparing to succeed, you will always succeed. And, and I love that philosophy. French kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So just in wrap up, a couple of last questions. First of all, where can people find you, Sam? Amazing. I am on LinkedIn. Of course, my name is Samantha Mele, but my company is The Creative Connoisseur. And then you can link to my website there. I am also on social media, but I am undergoing some construction on my business Instagram. So stay tuned for that campaign coming soon. But engage with me. I love, I'll love. i also be at IMAX. I don't know what time this is going to be. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll probably be coming out just before IMAX. So. Okay, amazing. If you're watching, Matthew, are you going to be there? Are you? As usual, I have an event in the exact week of I IMAX. No. For 25 years of my career. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. Well, I was going to say I'll see you in Vegas, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
I'll see you in Toronto then for sure. But if you're attending IMAX, please reach out to me. I'd love to connect coffee, tea, drink, cookie. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And then so finally, because we have a lot of event professionals listening, and we always like to give people a practical step that they can take. So what would be your advice or the practical thing that an event professional can do right after listening to this podcast to infuse that fun and that play into their next event? Say yes more often. Sure. Absolutely. I know you're tired. Just go. I know you probably don't want to do that, but like, just try it. What if it ends up being the most amazing event concert and you end up meeting your next client that's going to lock on with you for five years on retainer? Who knows? Who really knows? Say yes to more things. I think you'll surprise yourself when you open up to more opportunities. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today, Sam. This was really great. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate you. Take care. Production Value Matters, the business event podcast is brought to you by Burn Production Services. To find out more about Burn Production Services and how putting on events can drive value for your business, visit burnproductionservices.com. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at Production Value Matters, thank you so much for listening.